Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. Today's guest is Jules Blaine Davis, otherwise known as the Kitchen Healer. I woke up at 2 a.m. last night drenched in sweat, throwing bedding off of me. Every pet was also on top of me, which probably didn't help. Many nights, I have the opposite problem, where I'm hunting in the hall closet for extra blankets in the wee hours because I'm freezing. In part, this is because my husband and I have wildly different sleep temperature preferences, and I'm cold because he's left all the sliding doors in our house wide open. But there's actually a solution I've come to learn, and I'm all about a sleep solution because we know how important good, uninterrupted sleep is for every facet of health. Have you heard about Chili Pad by Sleep Me?, It's a bed cooling system designed to revolutionize the way you sleep naturally. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. You can also choose a different setting than your partner, so you each get what you need. What I want? A cool mattress with piles of blankets on top. ChiliPad believes sleeping at the optimal temperature helps people naturally reach their highest potential physically and mentally. Visit www.sleep.me thread to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code THREAD. This offer is available exclusively for Pulling the Thread listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.me slash thread Because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity, investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct. I mean, nourishing is truly, honestly, it is it is an activism. The, the minute you are nourished, the decisions you make versus when you weren't nourished, they're going to be really different the way you react to your kids, how we parent, how we are in our our partnerships or our work. It's like when we're nourished, it's like another another part of us is being, like our truest part, like who we truly are. And so if we can all be a little closer to that, like that that's the activism I'm tending. You know, it's like that's that that really is that an advocacy for a a culture that's really hungry, a world that really needs us to care for ourselves. It's not just an I, it really is a we. It's a we movement. So says Jules Blaine Davis, known as the Kitchen Healer. 
I met Jules nearly a decade ago after hearing rumors about this miraculous woman who lived on the other side of Los Angeles. I was told that she could restore a desire to cook, for one, but that her work was actually much deeper than that, that she probed long-held stories we hold about ourselves when it comes to our appetites and their validity, as well as whether we believe we deserve to be nourished. I spent an afternoon with her, walking around her backyard barefoot and telling her about my relationship with food, and left her house deepened, newly dedicated to turning on the fire in my own house and reclaiming the kitchen as a place where I could be, not as a zone where there was more for me to do. It was a powerful day, and I think that our conversation is quite powerful, too. How are you doing? Hi. I love you. Same hair. (laughs) I was thinking or trying to figure out when, so so for people who are listening, the context, I had heard of Jules, the the famous kitchen healer, and I think I emailed you and went over to see you maybe almost ten years ago. But I was in, I was curious, of course, about what you were doing because everyone was it was like whispered about the kitchen healer, and I was in this practice even though I learned how to cook as a kid, et cetera, of buying groceries to make meals and then letting everything go bad. It was a really weird, I'm sure that you encounter this, right? So I don't know if you remember that, but you worked me over in a very loving way. Well, you were ready. (laughs) You were ready whether you knew it or not. I know that was amazing. Was that a decade ago? That's just, I don't know. That's so not okay, but okay. We'll surrender and accept. (laughs) Maybe eight years ago. I mean, I, so I went to your house, you had me take off my shoes and I walked around your backyard barefoot. And this was before everyone was talking about earthing and grounding, but you just had me walk and feel myself in the ground and hang with the chickens. And then you, I don't even know what you do. Can you, how do you explain, how do you explain yourself to people? How do I explain myself to people? I mean, now here's the greatest news. <laughs> Get to this. <laughs> Here you go. Enjoy. I mean, for the longest time, because I was shaped in a family of origin where shape-shifting was a really great survival technique. So I got to use it in my profession. So when I would meet somebody at the market or at a gathering or, or, or if they said, you know, what do you, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a kitchen healer. They would say, what's a kitchen healer? And then I would do some, you know, Marvel and like figure out the font of that person within five seconds, their emotional font, their whole vibe. And then I would create three or four very long sentences around what it is a kitchen healer was to meet them where they were. I'm so glad I've healed since then. That was a really exhausting approach, but that was me out of the gate. And so in terms of now, after writing this book and 
I mean, I, the, the analogy is pretty terrible. I don't eat veal, but if you do, good for you. And I love you. It's like tenderizing a veal writing a book like this, you know, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. I've been pounded over and over again in the realms of like, what is this and what's of service and who needs to hear it? And what is a kitchen healer? So thanks for yeah. the question. A kitchen healer is a grief holder. And that is what my work is. So I hold the grief, shame, and vulnerability around the stories of how we were nourished or not in our homes of origin. And whatever those stories are, they either help us to cross the doorframe into the kitchen from 800 emails, CEOing, mothering, businessing, or they keep us out of that doorframe. And so Mm -hmm. my work is that I meet you inside that doorframe. And I take your hand and we move in together into the kitchen, which is a space where we can rewrite those stories. We can grieve into the soup. We can feel our feet and we can breathe and we can change the story around what it looked like, felt like, smelled like to be nourished. Mm-hmm. And it's different for everyone. It's a custom, beautifully blended experience. Mm. No, it's really beautiful. And as someone who has experienced only one session, it shifted something in me. I don't cook as much as I would like, but you effectively, just to summarize, it was just a very subtle paradigm shift of instead of thinking about this as one more thing you need to do, find a way to make the kitchen a place where you can be. And that was enough for me. It's interesting thinking about it, but there was a considerable block as we discussed. And then you fed me, I'll never forget this. You fed me, I don't know if you had poached them or they were from a can, but you fed me pears, poached pears and like condensed milk or something that was like, so it was delicious. So amazing. (laughs) Yeah. They definitely did not come from a can, but I love us. And they can, they can come from a can, but they're so easy to make that by the time you find the can opener in that drawer, with all the dust or whatever's in there, the crumbs from snack, you probably would be able to poach the pear, get the aroma, turn on the fire, and you'd have like, you'd have meditation over with for the day, you've grounded yourself, and many things could have happened with poaching that pear. It's not condensed milk, I love you so much because (laughs) the thickness and the sweetness of the experience that you remember that you had a somatic experience with it must have been just kind of out of this world (laughs) of like this. And it wasn't, it was incredibly accessible. And that's the whole point is that when you share Elise about the block and that just through one session, that's what you needed at that point in your life. You were an incredibly busy human being running a really major operation and doing 4,000 things in one moment. And so we might have a hunger to really be able to do that and show that we're capable and have that connection to our strength and our power. And then we really long to make some rice and a three minute egg. We just want to have something soft. And to do that inside that nonstop, just, you know, that energy, there's no modeling for that yet until now, because you're either one or the other. And if you're trying to do both, you just, you have to hire a team, which I'm all about. It's the whole end of the book, hiring a team and the permission around what it looks like to cook and nourish, but it really isn't even cooking because cooking in our, you know, this, cause you, you live inside all the 
all the kind of trendy words of healing. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually embody inside your own life, which you have to meet a lot of things to do that, right? Acceptance, surrender, all the things to finally get to you and who you are. Mm-hmm. And so once you become who you are, which is the subtitle of this book, and you take journeys over and over again, never graduating from this program, right? It's like, okay. I'm forever in recovery around what it looks like to nourish my deepest life inside a culture that is so hungry, that doesn't know how to model this, reflect this, or show me how to do this. Mm. So I got to learn how to do this on my own. Yeah. And, and everything comes up, right? Like, oh, I have too much help, or I don't have enough help, or I mean, we don't really have the funds for that, but, but do we? Like, where's possibility in that? Where's permission? Where's freedom? Where's ease? I mean, in every moment, we are given the opportunity to get closer to who we are or farther away. And usually we really do need a team for that. I do. I need a team for that. Wondering what to give your mom or wife or daughter or friend or godmother for Mother's Day? From someone who cares a lot about her bed and sleep, may I recommend something from Cozy Earth? In fact, Becoming a mom and suffering through its required sleep deprivation is where my obsession with sleep started, so it's one of those gifts that might really bring things full circle. After all, women in particular are really impacted by sleep deprivation, which has massive implications for our health. Between the hypervigilance of motherhood and the hot flashes of perimenopause and menopause, we get a raw sleep deal. So let me tell you about giving women you love their best night's sleep ever. Let me tell you about Cozy Earth. Their sheets are made from viscose from bamboo, and they are indescribably soft. So soft, like a bed hug like no other. Now, I'm not the only mega Cozy Earth fan. Every single year since 2018, Cozy Earth products have been named as one of Oprah's favorite things. Oprah picked their best-selling bamboo sheet set because they're temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and she picked their joggers and their socks and their pajamas— Meanwhile, Cozy Earth doesn't just make sheets, they also make pillows, blankets, and more. Cozy Earth makes their products by sourcing responsibly. They use the best suppliers with an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials. They're also incredibly durable. They get better with every wear, and they have an enhanced weave that is guaranteed not to pill even after washing and drying. All Cozy Earth products can be returned or exchanged within 100 days and include an additional 10-year warranty against defects. This Mother's Day, treat mom to the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health. She deserves it. Don't forget to use my promo code THREAD at checkout for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. After placing your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows so they know that we sent you. So there are many directions I want to go in. We'll talk about food in a bit and and the way that so many of us, I think, are believe that everything we make needs to be complex, multi-course, etc., so let's just put a pin on that and we'll talk about that and woodboard love and just feeding in a bit. But I want to go back to these early stories and the intergenerational 
load that women carry, right? And you talk about it as how so many of our moms likely, what was it that the self or the self service was the or quiet? I don't remember how you say it, but like essentially that our mothers' selflessness. Quiet oh, yeah, selflessness. They didn't, they didn't have a self. I mean, that's what right. the definition of selfless. Being selfless, selfless silence. Yeah, selfless yeah. silence. Running largest, on fumes. <laughs> biggest, loudest voice in the room of our childhoods, right? That we never necessarily watched our mothers nourish themselves. Is that in your work, sort of as you're t- teaching women how to turn on the fire, is that the biggest wound? So your question is, is the biggest wound that our mothers were selfless? Yeah, or that that we come from a long conditioning around women who never were never taught to feed themselves first, who maybe saved the dregs or took the smallest piece or never considered their own needs. And that's what we grew up imbibing and witnessing as a model. And so just even the sort of gear shift change into a different way of being, which you're talking about nourishing ourselves, we don't really have a model for that. If anything, it's aberrant, right? Yeah. I feel like I need a dictionary to connect with you because you're such genius. And (laughs) what I want to say is from what I what I heard that I could go, oh yeah, that that. Oh wait, I don't know what that word means. I would say that meaning they're... like we're we're somehow almost like disobeying what we've what we've been taught, or we're there's a betrayal almost in doing things differently. I think there there's usually it, it, we might we might meet that. You know, I I hesitate to say the one story is this right because there's not one story. It is so layered. It is such a layered cake. It lives in so many stories. It lives in, and it's so, it's historical. <laughs> it's patriarchal. It we, You could g- gather a group of really smart, badass women, and they would all have a line of what their work is in this conversation, right? So my my approach is more of the below the neck, emotional stories we carry. Mm-hmm. And yet this conversation includes, I mean, it's it's emotionally archaeological, if that's even a word. It's, it's so many things. And so in terms of, yes, one story being that the mom cooked everything and then went upstairs to either the Chardonnay or the bed or both, Sure, that's a story where you didn't see your mom at the table, even though she created everything. Sure, self-sacrifice and whatever, and and all of the stories that live in that. I mean, the, the deepest exhaustion where you can't even think about, you know, and I think a lot of us have this, and that's the major shift in the parenting now is like, oh, what will my kids be if I... Right. We didn't have, (laughs) I don't think any of us had like, my mom was definitely not like, I wonder my decision here is her future. No, that's not what was (laughs) happening. And so I would say that, yes, I hesitate to say, oh, the one story. I would say the, that is one big story. A few other ones are restaurant families, right? Food everywhere, food nowhere in the fridge, farm families, farmer families, mid country mid mid country families eight children 
a half a cantaloupe molding, you know, like there's so many different stories where the outside looks like they're good Mm -hmm. and the inside is so hungry. And so when I present this, when I was doing the emotional intuitive horoscope font on what the kitchen healer was to each person, you know, what would happen is it would open up something in someone. It would awaken something like, Oh yeah. I mean, my grandma cooked, but then, when my kid, when my parents got divorced at 12, yeah, the food stopped. And then it was frozen meals because mom had to work or mom went back to school and found herself becoming empowered or right. So it was like something had to be sacrificed. Hmm. And so what was sacrificed because we didn't have the tools to meet it in the middle. We didn't have the tools of like a wood board love. We didn't have the tools of a bridge. It was so extreme. It was like, I'm either doing everything or I'm not able to be there at all. And the shame and the grief in that of our mothers, or I mean, mainly usually by at this point, I think, again, I'm not a historian, but this is such a historical conversation too, and based in lineage and also just also the land being an offering, being connected to earth, the fast, quick, cheap way, right? Like all of everything is included in the conversation around what it looks like to nourish your deepest life, like every single thing. So even when, you know, you interview amazing people, Gabor Mate and all these people, the trauma, the peace, the addiction, the switching borderline narcissism, like all of it is connected to how we were nourished or not. It's a really expansive and what I call forever conversation around what it looks like now, today, to rewrite the story, to rewrite the many stories. Because for women, and then again, if we're not fed, no one's fed, right? So it's like for us, our body is connected to it, how we see ourselves, if we're doing enough, if we are enough, perfectionism, the event, the angst-like energy around people coming over or what's for dinner tonight. You know, we carry that story, which rewrote, many years ago in the article of like, we carry that story all day long. You know, even if we're held by support, if we're not really woven in there and we haven't even turned on the light for our kids, like, Hey, mommy works for these days. And then these other days, I want to do this with you with cooking. And these days we're going to have this, this, like we could turn the light on to where the shame and the vulnerability lives. So that we can rewrite the story together because we're really changing and healing a legacy. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I, I remember having this conversation with you and you brought up the patriarchy, but this patriarchal idea of women tethered to the kitchen in their apron strings, our responsibility, our duty, the core of our being, this idea of being a selfless sort of help meet, help meet the nostalgia of the 1950s housewife, which was really only in existence for a decade or so, but has, you know, completely penetrated every part of culture. And so I think for me, too, I had to work through some of my rage, ambivalence, resentment about this idea. And you are so interesting to me because you are holding that reality and then also talking about how essential 
to our natures. And this, I think, is probably a genderless idea, this idea of nurturance and care. This includes men as well. But to not have the kitchen light on, to not turn the fire on is sort of a cold, empty existence. I don't know if that's right. But you were sort of trying to bring me back into a different way of thinking about this, less as as mentioned, as something to do and more as this is part of who I am. Can you expand on that for people? Because you'll say it much better. Well, what you're speaking to, Elise, is ritual. You're speaking to ritual, which I feel we really long for because when you come – and how would I know that or how would I even have an inkling towards that is when you come over – and the candles lit and there's a wood board of just seriously chopped apple and some cheddar. It's not an event. There's something that softens in us. So again, if we can, I'm all about like packing for a trip for two days or a week is the same for me. (laughs) I'm like, these are my favorite things. And so in the kitchen, like even saying in the kitchens, like our, our, a lot of our minds divide. Like, right. I don't like my kitchen. I feel separate from it because we don't, again, know how to draw that bridge. And when we're drawing the bridge to the kitchen, we're actually drawing the bridge to ourselves. That's what I'm speaking about. The kitchen isn't just the heart of the home. It's it's the body. It's the body. It's my body in there. And so in the realms of turning on the fire, someone just said at the reading last week, she said, I came to your class like 15 years ago. And the thing you taught me has literally stayed with me every single day. I come home, I turn on the oven. I don't know what I'm cooking. I just get it going. Mm. And so many people that had newly known me, like within the last 10 or five years, reflected that. Oh my God, I loved that. You know, because that was in the first miracles of like, just get it to 375 and then put something in there before shower, bath time, signing permission slips for other people (laughs) in the book we get to do that for ourselves so I find that in these amazing conversations Elise that I am (laughs) I call it out as you know the I'm the fantasy I'm I'm the I'm the the piercing fantasy police (laughs) because this separation piece is so not necessary it's just again what was modeled like work and then got to drudge it and make a dinner, you know, like it was, it it was like food and nourishing and being in there was such a thing. It was such a thing. And some of us, it wasn't a thing. So people then don't enter into the conversation from that place. They're like, Oh yeah, my mom wove it in. You know, she came from a culture, you know, because when you share about the culture, it's like, it really is. And I say this all the time. I grew up here in America. This is not the same in other cultures where it's so traditional, it's so based, it's cooking and food and something on low from yesterday is woven into the day. So in the realms of like turning on the fire, whether it's just lighting a candle to get in there and then get the kettle going for the tea or the coffee maker, or literally the mug warmer in the cubicle, whatever is going to warm something, you get to join too. You get to be like, oh, I'm warming something. I'm going to soften too. I'm going to take this minute. I'm at the kettle. This happens to me all the time. I run in there and then I feel my feet. I say it throughout the book. I do it all the time. I'm doing this work too. I'm also busy and crazy and two kids and teenagers and navigating a culturalist culture, right? We're all doing it. And so I'll go in there and I'll 
I'll even feel that my foot is like turned. So even as I'm gathering a water or I'm turning on the kettle, I'll flatten my feet onto the earth. I'll just, just that is, Hmm. I matter. I'm here. I have a body before the next meeting or whatever it is. I'm going to make a tea before I leave the house. I'm going to, I'm going to just cut up a little something and make a little, you know, even if it's like a strawberry carton love (laughs) for the car (laughs) and just cut up a few things instead of ordering from a place 45 minutes, got to wait. Like, what does it look like to meet ourselves and our hunger over and over and over again? And I, and I think that you're speaking of ritual and it can be a ritual and let's not make it a fantasy, like a big thing. Like let's, we're just, honestly, we're just feeding ourselves. And when our children see us eat, when our kids see us eat, I just had this beautiful conversation with a woman yesterday, you know, from the high chair, right? They're strapped in. I'll never forget that freedom (laughs) of the car seat or the high chair. I know we have older kids now, and I definitely do. I have 16 and, and, you know, that's a whole nother thing, you know, getting them in a car to drive. Oh no, that's a whole nother level. But in the realms of that freedom, just walking around the car, (laughs) like I'm free. Someone is in the chair and like, (laughs) and so what do we do? We go do the dishes, we go, we go do things to get things done. Obviously, who wouldn't do that? Because now my hands are free and they're eating. But see, they're seeing me. They're watching me. So they're eating alone. And then we have, and, and I share this in the book, This I believe that a big part of this is why the picky eater is even birthed. Because, I mean, I don't go to lunch with you and I'm like, hey, I'm just going to get some work done. Let me just, I brought my laptop (laughs) and I'm just going to get a few emails done while you talk to me and we'll do this together. I mean, you know, it's, (laughs) it's, 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 I wouldn't do that. I mean, especially a lunch with you. No, I wouldn't do it with anybody, you know? And so it's like, what happens to that person on many levels, biologically, psychologically, right? All of a sudden we're not hungry. We're doing And so it's well, it's a really big thing. It is a big thing. And I think, I mean, that's something that I think we so many adults carry too, right? Like the utility of eating or standing in the kitchen and just shoveling something in our faces or mindlessly, like not even really tasting. This is definitely my problem. I eat, I don't I have no idea why if it's boarding school or college, like when I earn, sure. learn to eat so fast, I just slam it and I'm done and it's not a sensory <laughs> or experience at all, or very pleasurable. And I wonder if the bridge to that could be, I'm doing it again. I see, I see me. And I, and I love, I love me. I'm learning how to do this. Like, it's so intimate. It makes me want to cry. It's like, just stopping for a minute, just go, I know I'm doing this right now to us, because I'm busy. And I don't know any other way right now. Like, literally just naming it. Like, that's all you got to do before you get to, because you're going to know what to do. You're one of the smartest women I know. You're going to know what to do. The being part, which you keep sharing and bringing up, that's the being part. Like, I'm seeing me doing this. Because you're, you know, once that space is made and that grief around shoving the food in and it's like, oh, okay, I don't want to do this anymore to myself. Like, this is a violent act. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then once you do that, you'll set yourself up 
because you have support and you'll get other support or you'll make the shake in the morning and you, something else will win. Like you're nourishing you will win over something else that's winning right now, whether it's work or making money or whatever it is, because we all have that. It's a value system. Like it'll win over and it'll, for me, and I share this in the beginning of the book, it's the story of origin. I used to wake up, I read this too at, at Romans, like I used to wake up, you know, cray cray for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, my kids woke me up and like, it was crazy and it was just, and the treadmill didn't end until the night. And until I realized like, that's going to create, I'm just going to keep going with the same lineage I came from, which was abusive and and scary and not okay and not safe and so i'm i'm going to keep giving and be selfless i'm not going to have a self so i started to wake up before the sun came up because that was so important to me to change the story i didn't know that at the time mm -hmm. i just knew oh my god i'm not stopping ever and that's when i would turn on the fire i'd make a tea i might get some cauliflower in the oven like i might just get a few things going to do a little breathing and then like later in the day when I had 17 things going on, I'd make sure, oh, there's the cauliflower. It's out already. Like, and so there's a way to do this. Again, it's so custom blended and it really does require, it, it requires that slowdown of naming it when you're doing it. Cause we're all doing that. I'm also at the counter. Like, oh my gosh, like I haven't eaten all day and this is not <laughs> when my age, this is not going to work out for me later this afternoon with the headache that's going to meet me and all the other things. So it's like, okay, it gets real industrial, like you said. And mm -hmm. so I would say that when we name what we're doing, like we're not bad, we're not meaning to harm. We really aren't. We're just trying to get through the day. And so when we do that, it's it's much deeper. It's like, and that's the whole thing, right? All the amazing like intermittent fasting and all the things you know that I could ask you about forever like what do you think I should do for this or there's something on my arm you know what should I eat you know like all the phenomenal experts out there on food and eating and the biology of it and the, all of it this is under that it's the yeah. tap root well and I have a lot of feelings about that not that I not that I don't encourage people to accrue knowledge about themselves and their bodies but i do worry that the more obsessed that we become with optimizing every bite and we're just, just continuing to disconnect from our own intelligence, which we so many of us have never really understood or tapped to in the first place. So it's the continuing to outsource ideas about what we should eat. And again, no shame. I mean, everyone should do exactly what they want, but I am on a long journey in fits and starts of trying to reconnect, as you said, to myself. And what am right. I actually hungry for? And right. who am I? <laughs> who am I? It's the yes. Everything you just shared is that mindset instead of that below the neck conversation. Vet bills can be expensive, but Spot Pet Insurance can give you up to 90% cash back on vet bills so you can worry less about high vet bills. Yep. Up to 90% cash back on vet bills for unexpected accidents, illness, and even routine care. And with Spot Pet Insurance plans, you can go to any vet you want in the U.S. or Canada. 
There's no network you need to stick to. So visit your favorite vet and you can save money on expensive vet bills. That's Spot Pet Insurance. It's no wonder Spot is America's favorite pet insurance. Visit SpotPet.com for a free quote today. For all terms, visit SpotPetInst.com slash sample-policy. Spot Pet Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produce Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. This is an independent ad from Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. I think so many of us have been, and, and I'm not, I'm not, discounting the reality of this, that food, processed food is engineered for addiction, et cetera. I'm not saying that that's not true, but I think in this idea that we're being perpetually being hijacked by the food industry or big food, whatever, that we we assume, of course, that we can't be trusted. And again, I don't need to eat like 800 Doritos. Sometimes I have a few if my kids have them, but it's not, I think that that has been overstated in a way that I'm not going to go to McDonald's and like slam for Big Macs. It's just, I don't know, it's just not going to happen. But I think that there's this mythology that we, if we were to just be a little bit more allowing with ourselves, that we'll be completely out of control, you know, that a flip will switch. And instead, I just see us tamping down ever more on our own life force and divorcing ourselves from this idea that like I can I can make good choices particularly with with planning. Let's talk about woodboard love because it's such a beautiful gesture and it is a way to encourage, you know, cutting up an apple as you told me is more inviting. Like nobody can resist a sliced apple in the way that they can resist a whole apple. But can you talk to people about about that, about sort of loading up a wood board with just whatever. Yes, yes, <laughs> loading up a wood board. Bring those burritos in, or Doritos, burritos or Doritos, whatever you want. I love wood board love, and I just want to mention before we, as we draw the bridge, which is wood board love. It really is a bridge toward ourselves, towards the permission and ease and freedom that's in the kitchen for us. What you just shared was so powerful, and it's so important. Is we leave ourselves when we think about food. If you ever travel to Europe or you travel to places that are much older than us and have tradition in their food, warm spoons and 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 something warm on the on the stove, you know, or even in neighborhoods in LA, you'll smell really beautiful aromas of food because there's cultures in different areas that are pretty rooted in their stories. And so yeah, when we leave ourselves, which when we, when I think about food, I leave myself. I really do like, oh, what's going to be good? My stomach's been hurting. I don't really know. I mean, like it really goes into a whole nother area of my brain instead of lighting the candle, feeling my feet. And then what I share in the book are the altars of food. I have bowls of right now, seasonally, we have kishu tangerines, we have persimmons, and I have them out. I have a board out and I have a knife out. I don't go looking because if I go looking, that's another thing to do on my list. And I'm, I'm, I'm already, <laughs> I probably didn't do a great job with scheduling today anyway, you know, especially with the holiday and that time is so heightened. Even if you literally leave space, I have areas in my calendar space. 
rest, you know, and I'm a mom of two and so many other with a book that's come out like rest is I love I, I'll say to myself, I, I love you. You know, I'm glad you didn't put an actual appointment here, but you have other things going on. So right. So anyway, all to say, we will now enter the Woodboard love bridge and cross it in the realms of what it looks like to have a wood board that you love not the poultry plastic board. Nope, that needs to go. And the wood is the earth and a knife you love. It does not need to be fancy unless you love fancy. And it really is about how things feel, how things feel in your hand, how things feel in your in how you're seeing them. Even if it's just one little area in your kitchen, if you have roommates, if you have help and you're so distant from your kitchen because you have so many other things going on, right? You're going to meet grief. Like you're going to, and that's where I help you, right? It's like, you're going to meet it if it's not your regular day-to-day thing. And you'll meet it anyway. I meet it all the time in there. And in terms of woodboard love, it is whatever you have. The beauty of woodboard love though, is that if you shop for the board, it really changes. You don't have a list, A. (laughs) You don't need a list. You just have the intention of like, oh, I'm shopping for the board. And then when we normally make a board, I mean, we've been seeing all these butter spreads and all these things, right? Even people said to me, Jules, you know, my HR was like, do a thing. I'm like, no, I'm not doing a a butter spread. I love you. It's not a thing. The last thing I'm going to make about nourishing my life is that it's a thing. (laughs) It's like an event. Like, no, it's the best party ever inside me 24 seven, like, And then what's so amazing is that, so I'll shop for the board and then I'll have fun. Like I'll have like right now there's in my fridge, there's watermelon radishes, those beautiful fuchsia. And then I have some goat cheese that beauty loves. That's like a, I think it's an apricot goat cheese, or even if you just have goat cheese where you can drizzle honey, how do you drizzle honey? A fork, you know, like this is really easy stuff, right? But it's again, not easy if the stories are louder than what it is to get in there. So when we say, oh, we don't cook and I don't cook or I don't know how to do that or I don't know. There's something, we are divorcing ourselves from what really truly we long for. I believe we all want and yearn to feed ourselves. And so the wood board, what's so great about it is that anybody can do it. And then when your kids get older, they start to do it. And it's empowering. It's self-empowering. It's really beautiful. We're not waiting for a party or people to come over and make a whole thing. You can do it right now when we get off the call. You can have it for your next interview. You know, you can you can have it next to you. So it is whatever you have. But also, I think the the beauty of the ease of it is that when you go to the store, you can be like, oh, for the board. And then whatever the board, it could be roasted veg on there. But then that also... If that's an afternoon thing, and again, there's so many pages in the book about Woodboard Love, the morning one, you know, waking up and doing one and your kids waking up to that so they don't have to wait to be fed because them waiting to be fed is so incredibly stressful on us because mm-hmm. we're also waiting to be fed as we stand at the corner and shove food in our mouth. Like, it's just the story keeps going. And so if it's there, then I have my time, <laughs> even if it's four seconds. And so that freedom, like I was sharing about the car seat, going around the car to my seat, you know, it's like those little moments, especially with littles, are so profound and powerful and nourishing. 
And then that midday or even the after school wood board that's so beautiful. And again, right, what we'll do in our minds, fantasy alert, is we'll set it up so that it's perfect and amazing every day. And then, oh, if you have that one day where something's come up with your partner or your marriage is on a string or whatever it is, and you can't get to the board, like, where are you, where are you with that? Like, how much love, how much love can you give to yourself? Not being able to do it. It's not getting it right. It's not fixing a problem. So I bring the wood board in the car. I have a wood board in the car with the knife because I live in LA where I have a car (laughs) and I can do that. And then if I don't have food with me, I can go anywhere and gather some food and make it on the wood board for soccer or whatever, wherever we were. That was years ago now. (laughs) I don't show up at the skate park, you know what I mean, with wood board. That that wouldn't do it. (laughs) And then the evening, if I'm cooking and I'm late, right, I'm rushing, you know, because that's in my bloodline. I don't want to rush, but I'm happy it's happening anyway. How can I love myself? How can I love? Okay, I'm going to cut up some food. Whatever I'm making goes on the board for a little bit. And then, oh, but now we're coming up against another question that I hear all the time, which is, wait, I fed them already so much. What if I'm feeding too much? Let's look in the mirror. Let's find (laughs) that story. What is too much? If it's on the board, they're going to, if they're having their own conversation with it. And there's a lot of, it's like a recovery with wood board love. There's a lot of language like yeah. do not ask them if they're hungry. Do not find don't don't tell them what to eat on the board. Like let them be. I want to I want to you know I see that the, you don't need to say oh there's brie and cracker like I see it. I'm an adult. I see that. so do they. The kids see what every what's happening. They see your stress, they see my stress, they see it all. So if there's food in the midst of that, there's a place to land. There's a soft place to land. Like they can come up I think in your house, you have this where you have a, a kitchen island kind of thing where they can be there and you can be cooking. And then people will say, oh, but they, they will be full for dinner. Okay. They can be full for dinner. I'll warm it for their lunch tomorrow. We're going to have a body again tomorrow. So we'll have to eat again. Like it's okay. But again, if we're looking to fix something or we're doing and it's industrial, then we're pissed that you're not eating dinner. But if you're making something you love, and everything is what everybody is loving, right? It's like there's a dynamic shift. Yeah. Well, and I think early on feeding, learn, teach, letting kids, as you said, be and figure out the parameters of their own hunger without insistence in either direction. I'm just watching my, the natural patterns of my kids. I don't think they're unusual, but my youngest will eat so much sometimes. And then other times I'm like, did you eat anything really all day? I mean, in my head, but it's there. I don't quite know how they modulate, but it's really interesting to watch. And as you know, from all your Woodbird love training, when you actually cut something up and put it out or mash an avocado, whip up quick guacamole and put it out, people come, they flock. They They will say they're not hungry. (laughs) If you ask them, because there's so many stories on that. Oh, you don't have to do anything for me. I'll get food later, you know, whatever it is. And then you, I I still find myself doing this. My son was sick the night of the the book reading. And I thought like, there's nothing here. And he's like, not well, but he, I know he had hunger the whole time. And he's 16, like he can defrost a thing or whatever. And I was so like, no, 
no one I know would be cooking before <laughs> the thing. I was going to go pick up my mom and like, da -da -da, and I'm like, I got to boil some water and just make a little pasta just so he has something, even if he doesn't eat it, I don't care. And I have to tell you that grounded me that grounded me for the reading. I didn't need to look at what I was going to read. I needed to boil water and make some pasta for him, which is so, like I said to him, you'll probably never see this in your life where someone's preparing for something that's coming in 10 minutes. People are coming from wherever and I'm boiling water. Like this is where I ground, you know, and it felt so good to know I left him with something. Like those are really important values for me, you know? And so he was nourished. And then, of course, I felt I felt like, OK, at least you have something. Now I can go do the reading. You know, I mean, it's, it's really amazing how deep, how deep that is for me. Do your kids cook? Ocean does cook. Yeah, he loves he loves to cook. I mean, he's a full on American teenager. He loves a good fried chicken sandwich and with the craze of all the fried chicken places and beauty she is yeah she she likes to be served <laughs> she really does and she like you were saying about your son like you know she'll be really hungry and at this point now like I'll do a wood board and I'll sit with her and eat a lot of the time sometimes I won't she loves you know she'll read and and eat and then I'll think okay is she focused on her eating or is she just reading like I don't know about that and you know there's like every area is apparent you know it's like and let go and we're letting go again <laughs> 10 seconds later and now we're letting go again yes we are and so when she'll say I'm, I'm still hungry I'll say okay well I want you to drink a glass of water and then I, of course what's hilarious and this is a forever thing I'm learning how about Jules you drink a glass of water right how about you drink a glass of water with her? You know, because then she'll do that and then she'll forget she was hungry because she was really thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I'm like, wait, have I drank water today? I mean, like putting it back on myself, putting it back on my. It's a good point. And so many of the recipes in the book and so much of what you teach is about simplicity, roasting something, cutting up something that's fresh and whole, using a little leftover here or there. I you know, we touched on this briefly, but I think, you know, growing up, my mom's an incredible cook. She grew up in a food scarce home. I think that's probably partially why I'm so pressured when I eat as probably sort of old stories sure. there around not having enough food. And she, but she was, she taught herself how to cook and she used to make really impressive meals. I mean, she still does, but what you teach is has become more my style, where instead of a main and a side and a salad, and I mean, I just make, <laughs> I'm happy when I make one thing, but it took me a long, it's, I still have anxiety about that, that somehow by not making two vegetable sides, I'm undernourishing or underperforming would probably be more accurate. Do you encounter that a lot? This idea that it has to be so extra, so, so beautiful, so perfect versus just a simple preparation of something that's essentially a good ingredient? I would say that what I encounter is the relief in it. Because when yeah. people <laughs> go, oh my God, I don't have to make the cocoa with the thing. I'm like, I mean, 
for me, I'm going to go, I'm going to go order that. (laughs) I can't wait to go order that. I mean, you just said it, Elise, you just, you just knocked it out of the park. I mean, undernourishing, underperforming. You just did it. I mean, you just, you essentially, that, that's it right there is like, you know, the, one of the last lines in the book is you, you are enough. And the only person that can really come to really deeply, somatically, lovingly, heartfully, gratefully coming to that is you. Mm. And that's why it's the journey to becoming you, you know, the recipes in the book. I mean, at this point, when I work with clients, we really, you know, everybody wants to get right in the kitchen and like learn the three tips and the thing and the thing and the thing and the thing. You know, and it, and if we are ever to be together again in there, it would be in all of the things you've shared in this gorgeous time together. It's it's so deep. It's so deep and it and it really does nourish all these other parts of us, our marriages, you know, why we react or respond to something, the rhythm we live in, if we're reactively living and where we're doing it. Like it's so fascinating that a I mean, I'm so fascinated about it, even though I've been doing it for, I mean, a million years. And that's why I'm still doing it, because it is a forever conversation around what it what does it look like to nourish our lives is truly the question, who am I? Mm-hmm. And these recipes, quinoa on the rice cooker, you know, letting something do while you be in your in your life, like you're in here in your room with your mic and the rice cookers on with quinoa. And so then you'll cut up some goat gouda, maybe some roasted veg from the dinner you went to last night. And you can make a love bowl for yourself. And, and it's just a part of the day. It's not like a, you know, it may, it may feel like a total win. I'm all about wins and rewards. And sometimes I'll go to a restaurant even for lunch and I'll be thinking about dinner I'll be like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to get, because tonight I'm going to lead a meeting. Okay, let me think about what who I have tonight at home. And so I'm thinking, of, I'm getting ahead of it for my own nervous system, for my own self. You know, and if it's a place that I know the food can hold or something, oh, maybe it's warming it up. And then, oh, and I have this other thing I'm going to make. That'll be easy while I take a shower. And like, it doesn't overwhelm me. Like I have yeah. enough to overwhelm me. Our Our life, our culture right now, I mean, nourishing is truly, honestly, it is, it is an activism. The the minute you are nourished, the decisions you make versus when you weren't nourished, they're going to be really different. The way you react to your kids, how we parent, how we are in our, our partnerships or our work. It's like when we're nourished, it's like another, another part of us is being like our truest part, like who we truly are. And so if we can all be a little closer to that, like that, that's the activism I'm tending. You know, it's like, that's, that, that really is, that's an advocacy for a a culture that's really hungry, a world that really needs us to care for ourselves. It's not just an I, it really is a we, it's Mm -hmm. a we movement. I'm exceedingly careful about what I buy, not only because I live in a 1,500-square-foot house with children who sure have an awful lot of stuff, but also because I try to be conscious about everything I use. And sure, I want to use everything I buy. 
In addition, thanks to a decade in the wellness industry, I am very keyed into product claims and product content. This is why I like Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin, which is clinically backed with high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. I also like their Symbiotic Plus 2, which is a probiotic that's simple and effective. Ritual makes the most elegant multivitamin around. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus has everything you need, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Their unique beetlitten oil is so slick it's actually patented, and their capsule has a delayed release design, which is brilliant and essential, to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. And Ritual studies their vitamins, which is not the standard in the industry. Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. The results, it increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. As most of us are getting far less sun right now, vitamin D supplementation is essential. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Did I also mention that Ritual is a certified B Corp and female-founded? Nothing makes me happier than these two facts. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com thread. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash thread for 25% off. This is a complicated question, but you live and work in Los Angeles and I live and work in Los Angeles and there is a lot of fixation on body size and keeping ourselves as small as possible and how I'm sure you encounter a lot, right? And a lot of dysmorphia and a lot of conditioning around, you know, I think for most of us, like I have no idea what size I'm actually supposed to be, right? Like in many ways, I've been in battle with my body for my entire life. How do you, how do you contend with that when you work with women? I mean, is that typically the is that what you run into almost immediately hmm. i mean i think you know i'm like the homeopath in the village i'm like the last place people find <laughs> they're <laughs> like i've been to everyone <laughs> and i heard the podcast with elise and you're the one i'm like okay and so you know that homeopath <laughs> is exhausted <laughs> and also like yay because if i'm your last stop then we got this so and of course, you know, this service, this kind of conversation that we're in, Elise, is held by a greater energy. I'm just the vessel. So the people that find me and find this conversation like you did, you were ready. And you even really, this was years ago, you were like, when can we, when can we like do something? And I'm like, well, you, you have to experience it first. Like I, I wasn't interested. In yeah. Yeah. I wasn't interested in the like, let's get everybody on board. Like I want, I, I want you to experience you. 
so that you can come from a place when you're sharing it, which is again, such a healing, like all my healers heal in the way they're healing me. And that is the greatest gift they give me, right? That's a true, that's a true healer. Like I'm living this beside you. And so in terms of body image, again, we're being invited to who are you? When you, when we really open the conversation around bodies, body types, seeing what we see in the mirror, who we, who we are is so far away. Like we're, again, we've separated. And when we learn that that is everything we're not voting for, everything, when we vote for the people we vote for, when we buy the kind of food we buy, we are in such deep conflict with that when we separate, like we look in the mirror and we're like, oh my gosh, my ass is becoming a part of the earth. Like in the last two years, it's just sliding. <laughs> it's, where is it going? Hey, where are you going? I, lo- I loved you. Wait, you know, again, unconditional loving, which we meet over and over and in the kitchen when we're giving ourselves grace and permission and ease with how we are nourishing our lives. It's the same thing with our bodies. It's the same thing. So when we know where the story is coming from, we go back, seeing our moms look in the mirror, right? For me and my story, it was all about belonging. And my mom's favorite word was that I was Zoftic. I mean, I needed a dictionary just like I've needed I was like, what is Zoftic? Terrible. Most Z words. Like, what is going on? Like, what? There's maybe five of them, and Zoftic was one of them. And that it was in my lineage, and that I was, you know, I was just probably the blowfish in Nemo trying to survive my childhood, right? And so when I start to learn that, and I think about, wow, like, I was, I was thick. I was thick when I was younger because I was surviving. Mm-hmm. Oh, my body was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I love you. Thank you for doing that. And when I start to feel that rind, because I feel unsafe or I'm in a relationship that isn't really working or I'm, it's an invitation, just like we shared about you at the counter. Like, oh. It's happening again. I don't feel safe. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I need support. Yeah. I really, I really need help. You know, and so when we encounter that to kind of, you know, again, it's a big, it's a big question, like you said, and it's complicated on many levels. But when we learn about where this what the story is, like, oh, and then check the source of that of my mom and what her mom was doing because she was rewriting a story to leave eight siblings in the Carolinas, right. To become something. She was the one, my, my grandmother, Cleopatra, which went as she went as Pat, kill us now, Cleopatra left South Carolina to come to Miami and become a nurse and like make something of herself. So there was a can of crab meat and a head of lettuce on the table. My mom was the oldest of four. And so it was like belonging and survival. And so then it's 2022, almost 2023. 
how do I want to rewrite the story? Where does it come from around belonging? Yeah. And like, how do I want to belong? And so when I get to know more of where the story is around my thighs or my knees or my tush or whatever, I can get closer to myself, to loving my body and myself inside that. And that I would say that's pre anything else coming to invite you deep, deeply into this vessel that we have. Mm-hmm. I hope yeah. that answers the question. It's really layered. No, it is really layered. And on one side, I was talking to a man who does really deep body work and we were talking about weight and he was saying on one on one side it's it's insulating it's grounding it's shielding and then the double-edged sword of it can be that it it's can be dense it can weigh us down it can or hold us back but I don't think that any or most women I'll say have really interrogated the deeper the deeper lesson there. I certainly am. I try, but I am. It is not resolved for me. Well, it's not, you know, there's nothing. I think when we get to the place where there's nothing to fix, mm. like when we leave that topical conversation with our bodies, like if we're willing, it's a risk. It feels really risky. It's courageous. The first pages of the book are about courage. It, it's so courageous to leave a story, to leave a relationship that is so deeply embedded in the lineage. It's, it's, it's huge work. And I call it, you know, it's, it's the quiet work, you know, and maybe that'll be the title of my next book. It really is the quiet work. No one sees it. Yeah. But when we do that, we lose more weight than we could ever imagine. When we really shift that relationship. Like I'm no longer doing this anymore to you. I want to be with you. I love you. I'm so grateful for my life. When we change, right? Because when we're in a relationship where no one's, you know, they're not doing enough and we're not, da, 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 and da, da, the cells are all like, what the hell is going, ah, fight or flight. So no one's moving. I mean, I don't know if you've ever waited for your period, but no one, nothing's coming. <laughs> I mean, like nothing in that heightened awareness, nothing is going to flow and be natural and energetic and leave when it's not needed. And I'm talking about body, fat, weight, whatever. When we lose that and we go deeper into our lives and we really choose to be in an intimately connected to ourselves, finding our feet relationship. I mean, that's what happened for me. I I did everything. Like I was like, oh my God, I need to fix this. I'm, I, don't, I don't look like the regular, per- whatever. And when I started to really shift that relationship many, many, many years ago, everything shifted. My body shape shifted, my my mind shifted. I mean, you know, it's, it's a journey. Mm-hmm. It's a journey we go on. You know, it's funny, when I went to see Jules and we did our session, I saw her kitchen. I think we might have started our conversation in the kitchen before we moved to the backyard, but we didn't spend any time in the kitchen. She actually cooked for me, fed me. And it's interesting to think back on that now because I think for so many of us, cooking and the way that it's been elevated beautifully 
over the years in our lifetimes, really, into this art form or this idea of achieving the limits of a chef, that the food should be perfectly balanced, nourishing, and also beautiful and complete is just a lot of pressure. And that you need to know all of these skills in order to achieve this idea. I think, as Jules kept saying, there's these bridges, bridges. She kept using that word, letting ourselves off off the hook and putting ourselves on a bridge where we can achieve really simple but beautiful food. I mean, so much. This is, this is the carrot ginger soup recipe. Gather olive oil, organic ginger, organic carrots, water, salt, love. Tools, a pot you love, a wood spoon, a bowl for peels and nubs, an immersion blender or a Vitamix or any blender you have. And that's how she cooks and that's how she feeds. There is really no complexity in this book in a way that I think will bring a lot of relief. And there are beautiful writings throughout and heartwork moments of journaling or reflection as we figure out, as she said, who we are. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at theelisepodcast.com. Please sign up for my newsletter. I promise I won't spam you. Or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunan to get updates on new episodes. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow Pulling the Thread, available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, i.e. wherever you're listening right now. I also want to thank you in advance for sharing any episodes with friends you think might like the show, because that is how podcasts grow. I want to give a shout out to Phil Svitek, Lauren LaGrasso, Serena Reagan, Mary-Kate McDonough, and the entire Cadence 13 team for producing these episodes, and to Valero Duvall for my key art. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at LLS dot org slash students. That's LLS dot org slash students.